Thanks for tuning in to this episode, everyone. Hopefully you're having a great October. And in this episode, we're going to be talking with our friends from Just Hunt Club, John Lewis and Jake Lynch, about scrapes. Those guys live in New York and hunt a lot all over the Northeast. I wanted to talk with them about some of their experiences hunting scrapes and what type of scrapes that they're looking for when they're out hunting. And I feel like this time of the year, my focus starts to really shift to scrapes because bucks are starting to make a little bit bigger loops and they might slip up and make a mistake in daylight and hit a scrape that I'm set up on if I pick the right one. Right about now is when things start to get really good. If you've been waiting around to hunt, it's time to start getting out there. Before we get into the podcast though, I wanted to remind you guys that we use the Go Wild app because we can share hunting stories without being censored, we can share gear, and also earn rewards to buy new gear. One of the coolest things about Go Wild is you can use the Pursuits page, which is on your home screen in the app, to find serious strategy advice. You can dive deep into hunting topics and there's tons of content to learn from. When you're on that Pursuits page, you can see questions from other hunters, such as Kyle who asked, as a new bow hunter, should I focus on in-depth knowledge of a couple pieces of public land or have a broader understanding of many areas? You can also see all the answers and you can also help Kyle by saying what you believe based off of your experience. It's pretty cool. It's like a hunting camp online and the app is free and available in the app store. If you guys want to check the description of this podcast, you can click a link there and that'll take you to the Go Wild app or you can visit downloadgowild.com to get started. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Let's talk scrapes with John Lewis and Jake Lynch. Man, I, I meant to brush my teeth. so that Yeah, me too, but I didn't. No. Stinky pigs. <laughs> I did. <laughs> get, get on you, Jake. Um, today we're going to be talking about scrapes. We got John Lewis and Jake Lynch in the house, in, literally in my house. First time. Present. Yeah. First time I've been in a place of your living that's in- like... You can tell you're actually living here. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, probably since like, uh, what, S- seven years ago, I would guess, since I was in yeah. that apartment in Iowa. Yeah. The I mean, Warp's house doesn't count. Yeah. That wasn't really a place of... It was like a temporary, yeah. very temporary, like people... I mean, I really just feel like house. if there's carpet in the bathroom, it's not a place of living. <laughs> you know, there isn't anymore. I know. They changed yeah. it. It's crazy. <laughs> that was the weirdest thing out there. And in the kitchen. And then, and actually a lot of people's houses yeah. in Iowa is yeah. like carpet in the kitchen bathroom. Just like, an Iowa thing. I think it's just like, yeah, maybe slightly outdated. Just like <laughs> something they hadn't quite transitioned to like yeah. the norm there yet. Yeah. That's real weird. Kind of gross. Kind of see what ends up on my bathroom floor and to think that if that was carpet. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking, <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking yeah, man. All there, right. might be, there might be little urine stains on that one. <laughs> Yeah, you know, the funny thing is, too, when Sean was living there, or maybe he wasn't even living there, he uh, had a few too many drinks and was sleepwalking, peed on the carpet in front of the sink. Oh, like a dog. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That was one of those deals that, you know, really makes you wish you didn't have carpet. I was a kid. I wouldn't be having too many drinks, I don't think. <laughs> My dad, I would sleepwalk all the time, and I would, like, try to eat dog treats and pee in closets and stuff. I did that, too. I yeah. peed in weird places. Yeah. Like, peed in, I peed in the, like, clothes hamper one time. Yep. It's, like, nice. But, yeah. The anyway. weirdest thing I ever sleepwalked, I, this will be real quick, was that when I was living with Barber, 
and Chantel mm-hmm. and my parents, I forget what, for my birthday or something, I had this like grilling package of a bunch of different like barbecue sauces and I woke up in the middle of the night and apparently like pulled them all out. I went into their kitchen, like moved stuff all around. I woke up the next morning and I was like hugging this empty box of barbecue sauce <laughs> And, like, I come out, and I, like, go into the bathroom, and there's an open thing of barbecue sauce on the toilet. (laughs) And, like, I go into the kitchen, and Eric's just like, what did you do last night? And I just, yeah, I just sleepwalked around, moved stuff, and found that box of barbecue. Don't really remember any of it? None of it. Yeah. That's that's the creepy thing about it is, like, you wake up, and somebody either tells you what you did, or you see signs of what you did, and you're like, I don't know. Yeah. Ted sleepwalks a lot. I'm really? sure you've heard some of those stories. Uh-huh. Oh so, man, I could tell you. We he seems do a like whole that when you wait, when that. you wake him up, he looks like he could have just <laughs> been done sleepwalking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's it's it's pretty yeah. wild. That's funny. So today we're gonna be talking about scrapes. We're actually getting ready to go uh, elk hunting. There's a rifle season that we're gonna go participate in, but we uh, want to talk about scrapes mostly because we feel that that's something that's coming up. It's kind of the next thing, but you guys were just saying that you've been really like ha- using scrapes to your advantage really since the season started. Yeah. I mean, I say to like us as like our whole group, mm-hmm. um, I mean, we focus on scrapes pretty much year round, right. whether it's for gaining Intel, especially if you find like the right ones, you know, like you have those ones where like a buck's just, you know, fired up and just is going to make one, but you find those like community ones that deer hitting year round. Like Mm -hmm. there's a good chance that you're going to find, or like the bucks in the area are eventually going to hit that, whether they're checking for does or whatever that is. I've noticed in the last week, like just from cameras and stuff that I've had out, um, like just all sorts of bucks showing up and they're all on, you know, like more community scrapes mm-hmm. where it's been does all summer and some stuff and early fall. And now it's just like, Oh, there's a new buck. Oh, there's a new buck. And it's like, you know, five a week coming from. Yeah. yeah. And they're just like starting to do that, you know, and most of it's at night, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, early season. I mean, we did that, um, the Island trip. And besides we shot I mean, Cody, we lost one buck that Cody hit. He shot that over a scrape. Brett shot that one over a scrape the first night and Kyle shot one over a scrape and that was like September 15th two on September 15th and Kyle's I think second one's the 19th yeah something like that but that was all that we were and those bucks hunting. were in velvet too right yeah, yeah that's yeah, crazy Kyle's second one so the three or Cody's was in velvet that he hit which I need to show you that footage and see what your thoughts are on it because it's interesting um Brett's was in velvet Ross's was in velvet and Kyle's first buck was in velvet. Um, I mean, that's like more, that's the most deer that we've, I mean, it was a very unique situation, but, um, yeah, every, that was like the whole goal of that. If you were sitting somewhere was scrapes Yeah. and we just ran and the way we found those deer was we ran cameras on those same scrapes in the summer Mm. and every, all those bucks were on those scrapes or the one Brett shot was on a mock scrape. So that was a little more interesting of a situation. There wasn't anything there, but it was just like a spot that made sense. Mm-hmm. And he made one and like, and that deer was seven and a half years old and he found it. And it was just like, boom, boom, boom. Like he just like fell in love with it. Every other day for like a couple of weeks, right? Before yeah. he got there. Yeah. It was like 
yeah clockwork pretty much so how did you guys find these in the summer or whoever it was that put the cameras there what was that strategy just like covering ground just Mm -hmm. looking transition lines and Mm -hmm. then picking out licking branches and stuff for as far as like finding active scrapes or finding like spots that we wanted wanted to make mock scrapes um mostly where you had the cameras set up during the summer and then you guys ultimately set up so like how were those places found or was it like before season just anticipating that these are going to be like annual scrapes is that kind of how it was yeah i mean there's a couple i think a lot of times too when you get into like uh like a good idea of that it's probably a scrape that's going to be used year round is they kind of coincide with like a transition area or like a funnel that deer are naturally moving through anyway. You know, like I was saying before, where you have those ones that it's just like, you know, a buck may, you know, walk through this wide open timber one time in the fall and be up a spot kicked off. And yeah, but like, that's probably, probably it. But like, yeah. So a lot of them were, you can find them too. Like ones that have been hit year after year after year. Cause if you look at the ground, especially like where we're at, where we don't have like a lot of like build leaf up. Matter. Yeah. Leaf matter. Like you'll see the roots, you know, of the trees and the plants. And a lot of times they're broken off and you can see like layers and layers. And honestly, I, when you find one that's, you know, old, hit year round, you'll just smell it. Mm-hmm. Like if you open that thing up, it's like, whoa, mm-hmm. that thing stinks. And then, you know, obviously you're licking branches and stuff like that, but you can see they're kind of like, a depression a depression into the ground Mm -hmm. um but yeah so the i guess to answer your question was a lot of it was just and i didn't do it It was a lot of chris chris spent a lot of time just like hitting new areas running through them finding them opening them up one thing that we like to do too is make them absolutely enormous yeah like like as big as yeah like if he's walking on the ridge and like looks down he's gonna be like what is that you know Mm -hmm. and then you have that visual cue too mm-hmm. um so yeah just covering ground and finding them and then open them up and then uh we use you know some synthetic synthetic sense um mm-hmm. like uh it's buck fever so we use like the forehead gland which is like super potent smell it's like almost like a vanilla mm-hmm. smell um so Do you ever try it like taste wise uh it's not that great <laughs> <laughs> the biggest thing with it is if you're in bear country to make sure you keep it off your hands yeah it's because like i have so many cameras get ripped off trees because the bears absolutely uh, love it interesting. and they like i get bears on all my scrapes just because it's like a sweet mm-hmm. smell but the deer like it too so yeah so we do that and then um you know let them ride for however long and if nothing's really showing up go what percentage of those cameras would you say are successful at finding like bucks so like let's say you run 10 cameras this is just for the sake of saying a number like what how many out of 10 would you expect when you find one of those annual scrapes would you say that you're gonna find a shooter buck appear even just a couple of times would you say it's 10 out of 10 or is it 5 out of 10 2 out of 10 probably i mean without really like looking into it deeply maybe three i guess it also depends what your 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 definition of a shooter buck is right you know for like this we weren't looking for huge deer by any means we were just looking for bucks Mm -hmm. so that was and there was a super high deer population there too so that would be i would say was way higher because it wasn't like we were looking for anything 
super mature or anything like that. We were just looking for kind of the experience of it. But I'd say like around me, it's hard to say too, because I've been there long enough that like, I kind of know which ones are where at least where there's probably a big deer hanging out. And then I can key into it a little bit more. I'd say like three out of 10 is probably. Yeah. Two or three. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a good ratio. And that's, you know, in like a pretty big woods setting, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're running them on like a field edge or something in the Midwest, you know, that probably is going to go (laughs) way up. Um, Mm -hmm. I always think of like the difference you've already touched on it a little bit, but that difference between like the annual scrape that is just a big, you know, heavily hit. It's got those things like the depression, no leaves, multiple licking branches a lot of times. Um, versus the just kind of tapped on his way back to you know or out to feed or back to bed and there's advantages to both because i do think that those ones that are real quick hit like Mm -hmm. one after another if there's a sign in there that's telling you that it is it is a big buck doing it and it's like hey that was last night maybe he's pointing you right into a direction of where Mm -hmm. he's at today Mm -hmm. right but if those are found two or three days after the fact they're already likely irrelevant right not to say that you know he's not still hanging around there it might still be worth investigating more area around there and maybe you do find that you know annual scrape where there's a funnel or just a congregation of trails but what i do like and what i feel like you guys are talking about a lot of when you're putting these cameras up and stuff and looking for these scrapes is just that really I don't want to say that it's obvious because I think that if you're newer to looking for scrapes, it probably isn't that obvious. But if you're finding multiple trails and like really obvious trails, like trails that are really worn into the ground, there's a lot of tracks on them. When those intersect, and a lot of times that will be on a transition line. So for example, you're working a transition and let's just say you've got a brushier habitat on your right side and open hardwoods Mm -hmm. on your left. And then somewhere out of that brushy habitat, a trail intersects with that transition line trail. That, and then you find the big old scrape, twisted up licking branches. Those are the types of places that it's like, ooh. Mm-hmm. If you got a good feeling that if there's a buck around here this year, he's going to be hitting this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel that as the season progresses, their loops just continue to get a little bit wider. And like you said, too, they do a lot of that at night, I think. But if you can find them close to places where they're bedding and almost just backtrack, like let's say you find four community scrapes in a big area. Well, maybe by finding those, you got a pin, you connect the dots kind of, and you're like, well, maybe that's where he's bedding. And then you can just continue to hone in Mm -hmm. on that spot. But I feel like this time of the year, the second half of October, man, you can start getting pretty dialed in on a buck hitting a scrape. Even if you don't have cameras, just by looking at how blown up one right. is. I right. mean, oh, yeah. you remember the buck that Luke Nissen shot in 2017? It was, Greg filmed him. Yeah. Yep. It was like it our was first like in that year fi- of THP. It was in that like th- real cedar thick cedar. Thick. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. So basically what was happening there is all of a sudden Luke finds this scrape that's just obliterated. Like every direction around this tree, this scrape is hit starts running a camera on it and that punk showed up like twice a day yeah 
and because he was situ- right there. Yeah, in that yeah. situation, I think he's right on he's top of his bed area. Yeah. yeah. Now it's not as simple as you find a scrape and that's going to happen, and a monster buck shows up <laughs> twice a day. But I think that the more of those that you can find, and again connecting those dots, is just extremely helpful. And then to your point too of getting an inventory. At some point or another, most bucks or all bucks in that general vicinity are going to hit that scrape. Right, when because, you find the right one, yeah. And I think a lot of it comes down to they hit a trail, deer, just like a dog or you know any wild animal, really uses its nose mm-hmm. so much that they're just going to start tracking other deer, ultimately leading them to that scrape. And right. that's how I think And the other thing happens. is that I look at, at like a lot of the those, like I was saying, like focusing on those does. like. Yeah in the summer or whatnot, you find a scrape and it's like, Oh, there's six does hitting this. Like, don't just be like, ah, there's no bucks there. Like that is going to be, that's, a good point. that's, that's like starting when they're starting to kind of figure out, like if he know knows that's there and those does are hitting that, why would he go anywhere else to see what's to smell stuff? Mm-hmm. You know, he's going to go right there. Cause he's like, I'm going to, this pocket of does, you know, I want to smell, I want to see what's going on. Mm-hmm. So like, I think, you know, scrapes, sometimes they get the the mentality of, like, for buck and, and tell. But, like, also, like, in the bigger timber and stuff, like, I want to know where does those are. pockets of does are. Yeah. And, like, if you can find that scrape that all those does are hitting, like, well, you just concentrated that to probably a spot that he's going to come check. Mm-hmm. Even if he's three miles away right now. Mm-hmm. And you find that in a terrain feature that's huntable. And you can get in and out like yeah. you're you're bulletproof. I do want to circle back and talk about setting up on scrapes um, and hunting like right on scrapes and kind of incorporate a little bit more of the mock scrape stuff. But first I want to quickly touch on like how I think scrapes and bucks use those to figure out more about those. Because I, I have in recent years been paying more and more attention to this and it just seems to hold true everywhere I go go back to that example where you've got brush on your right open mm-hmm. hardwoods on your left if we can assume that just j- just for real real generic uh or, or being very general here if those does are bedding in that brushy stuff and let's say there's 200 yards of edge there if they're bedding somewhere in there i think i hear a lot of people talk about being downwind of mm-hmm. the doe bedding area and i think that to some degree bucks can i mean certainly if there's a hot doe in there and he's upwind or what downwind of her a couple hundred yards right. even he's probably gonna smell her but i think one thing that they do checking is, those cross trails yeah too. it's like they're yeah. tracking yeah and and they can cover if you think about it think about how much more your ground you can cover mm-hmm just by walking a transition and smelling who went into every trail and it seems like that's where those scrapes pop up so like if you've got that 200 yard section and maybe there's in the middle of it there's a spot where three heavily used trails come out where the does are going in and out you know almost every day bed to food bed to food and there's bang 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 three scrapes especially if they're all within bow range or whatever your weapon of that time of the year is and you can shoot all those like those are the types of places that i think you have a really good chance at catching a cruising buck as early as i mean starting here and you know really now yeah. right yeah. i mean yeah. even in september like it's yeah. just those think, are concentration areas right. for sure yeah i think you're looking at like you know september those those uh seasons that come in there like you're you're spending more of the time 
trying to find the deer the deer that's hitting that like that's Mm -hmm. his little spot like he's probably not going and moving around but like it's more of like a guessing game or trying to you know spread cast a wide net to find like hey this is the this is the one he's hitting and then Mm -hmm. figuring out how to hunt it but like for a mock scrape like trying to set that up because you have the control right Mm -hmm. when you find that and it's a huntable spot setting it up Mm -hmm. so you can hunt it because it's it's easy to just be like you know this makes sense but there i can't hunt here Mm -hmm. like there's no way i'm gonna get away with hunting here you know like where brett shot his buck that was like the ideal you know situation of a spot that you can is also the same thing is like if you have the you know the you know everyone talks about like those cold fronts in october and like say if you have that weather that's sweet but like that deer was hitting that scrape a bunch you want to make sure that it's similar like a food plot you know that you can get in and out in Mm -hmm. and out in and out and not blow everything Mm -hmm. up so you're almost hunting it like a food plot, mm-hmm. I think is the best way, especially yeah, yeah. early. Yeah, you know, just because it's not a cold front doesn't mean that he's not going to come hit. Oh, you yeah. just have to be like, you know, particular about where mm-hmm. you're putting them. Yeah. Here's something I want to hear your guys' opinions on. Yeah. So in general, it's not normal. <laughs> <laughs> in general, scrapes are on transition transition lines, pinches, funnels. Mm-hmm. What makes what makes a community scrape a community scrape and not like one of those rut scrapes that just he just does on November 1st when he's cruising? What makes that one not a community scrape and the community scrape a community scrape, if that makes sense? I guess my thought is kind of like what I was saying earlier, where there's just a heavy congregation of okay. trails yeah. where they have they feel like almost obligated to stop. And yeah, in, in open country, I feel like you can learn a lot about them quickly. They're almost a lot of times under like a tree that'll be a beacon tree. Mm-hmm. So let's say we're coming out of a thicket on a deer trail right. and it's starting to angle towards that one pin oak tree out in the middle of the marsh mm-hmm. and you start following that. And then all of a sudden you start seeing these other trails kind of converging and all of a sudden you get to that tree and it's like, there's just trails coming in from that, every direction. And like in our situation, that would be like, you know, on a logging road mm-hmm. with a overhanging beach branch mm-hmm. that's just like it's sticking out yep. like it's something that is obvious like your beacon tree or like, from a big ha- like a big hemlock, hemlock. Yep. yeah that's where i've seen a yep. lot of big community scrapes yeah the and your guys' neck of the woods is like if you're following through you know following trails through pretty open hardwoods timber and then all of a sudden you hit a different type of tree that's like it's the same thing it's like a visual cue because mm-hmm. even down south i've seen them um in high concentrations under holly trees you know mm-hmm. those leaves mm-hmm. stay green all year and it's the same thing it's almost like a visual cue and back to what you were saying about making your mock scrape really big it's almost like just something that they see like oh, i'll go over that direction and somehow right. and i think too just over the years like those trails get worn in so much that you know it just becomes like a, a habit so there's other factors it. with community scrapes and just like a transition line i think so i think a lot of it too is like in steeper country like us like you get that those like logging roads are huge you get that flat like mm-hmm. they're not gonna like want to be on the side of a mountain you know right. like but if you have you know like a trail like that and you get like a little whoop, yep nice and flat bench. you know yeah like a little bench of some sort which you know like a logging road like that's mm-hmm. and you can walk those logging roads and you'll have like that big one and then like 
November or whatever, end of October, it's like there's just like 30 of them. Mm-hmm. But like 10 yards to the right and 10 yards to the left, there ain't nothing. Yeah. It's just right yeah. on that line. Right, right. Uh-huh. The one thing, um, too, about a, a big community scrape, I guess, is that a lot of times there's just something about them that has – it allows you to believe that the signs are telling you more than one buck's hitting it very consistently. So like year in and year out, if bucks are using the same licking branch, it's like further up. So when you go out on the end of a branch, mm-hmm. it's real spindly out there. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. as the years go on and they just keep rubbing that thing, when you hit a licking branch that's like as thick as these tripod legs, good sign. Right. And it's kind of broken off the end, right. all peeled up. Yeah. And then maybe better yet, there's, three of those around the tree and there's three big you know dirt spots under Mm -hmm. the tree that's when i'm like man this isn't just one buck hitting this one time it's a buck hitting this or multiple bucks and Mm -hmm. maybe even multiple mature bucks and it seems that when multiple mature bucks hit a scrape they become more and more aggressive Mm -hmm. so like they're standing there making themselves mad like making the scrape bigger like dude y'all were in here we lost our life it's like y'all were in here yesterday. I'm pissed, you know. And just, yeah. I think that. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, the licking branches. Yeah, like you said, just multiple years of branches nipped off or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, and then the fresh rut scrape, you'll just see like a brand new beach branch. Just yeah, and there's probably and there's probably yeah, if anything. Yeah, if you anything. know, he may have just stuck his face up in it, and yeah. you know. But the other thing to think about too is like, um, you know, when you're looking for these in September and stuff, most likely the the ground isn't worked up. Like a lot of those deer aren't, they're not, they're not pawing at the ground. They're just, you know, sticking their face up and into the licking branches. But you can see, even if you have like leaf matter or whatever, you can usually see those spots that were probably opened up in a lot of dirt. There's always like a bunch of real young, fresh green grass growing yep. or like, you yep. know, whatever it is, it's like real small and you'll look around and there's none of that. But then in this spot, because they, they opened up the dirt in yeah. the fall. There's all this like real fresh growth coming back up. Yeah. I've found going on that sometimes they might not even bite the branches or whatever and just rub their face in it. I found what looked like a scrape multiple times. Looks like a scrape, but only the branches tell you that it's a scrape. Right. And you run a camera right. there all summer and they're not even looking at the ground. They just walk by. Yeah, it. they just stick their face up in it. Yeah. yeah. And then I think mo- they use licking branches mo- all, year. all year. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Just like a scrape. Bucks yeah. and does. Yeah. 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 For and sure. I think a lot of times does don't even scrape. No. They just walk in and put their put their face up in it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty yeah. interesting. It's not even just deer. Like the amount of pictures of other animals that I get in scrapes is crazy. Coyotes mm-hmm. absolutely love and foxes absolutely mm-hmm. love them. Mm-hmm. We have fishers. It's like every scrape there's a fisher in there. Like so it's just like in general, just like a you know, it, it's, it's a, a bar. Well, it's yeah. a bar, and it's like for a, the whole town. To come, you yeah, know, like it's a community spot. Yeah, like. Well, I think it tells you a lot too about. And yeah, funnel like funnel beacon like whatever yeah. it may be. I think when you're talking wild animals, even ourselves, right? When you're walking through the woods, why would why do you stumble on a scrape? It's because somehow funneling you're funneling you. down to that spot. Yep. I mean, whether you realize it's happening when or they not. were when they were looking for Cody's buck, there was what eight of you guys. Yeah, and they all spread out. And they didn't talk to each other, and every single one of them ended up at the same exact spot. Yep. 
just yeah. just walking. And there was know. a big signpost right there, like ten yards from where we met up. Yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> like pretty telling. Right? Yeah. Something, whatever it is, is pushing us to this spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I think that really, when you think about what a scrape means to me, it just is a communication thing. Like, mm-hmm. hey, I'm here today. I'm not here today. So, if they're giving you that clue, as a hunter, we talk about fresh sign all the time well if you see the fresh sign telling you that he's in there it's a pretty dang good indicator that you need to like start thinking about what your next move is a little Mm -hmm. bit more seriously yeah and that's where even those singular scrapes going back into especially as like a still hunter too when you start to find those Mm -hmm. real like if i mean i think like the buck bailey killed last year yeah it was like this is like today today and then boom 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 i mean that's not how he killed him but like that's like a super like confidence booster type thing if you're like still hunting with a gun Mm -hmm. or even a bow like you're not getting anything because you can look at a rub and go oh like that's fresh but okay the stuff's on top of the leaves was it today yeah i mean okay you can see some that are like still like wet you know but Mm -hmm. like a scrape it's like okay like that's like fresh fresh Mm -hmm. And then you can also they're track catchers. Yep. Yeah, they literally, are and the you can look at the track and then it. have you know somewhat of an idea of like, what, is this who we is after? This, or yeah, not? Is, this, <laughs> is this him? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, there's been a lot of situations because I don't run trail cameras, and that's something that I like to to do mostly to compare to. Like, mm-hmm. there's that way you have like two different examples depending on what what boat you're in like if you're a trail camera runner then you can hear what you're doing if you're not then you can hear what i'm doing right like have two different comparisons in the strategy and like when i'm looking at a scrape i have to just make a guess based off these clues what type of buck we're dealing with here like is this big buck where are his tines you know yeah reaching how high up is yeah yep how if he's making rubs beside it what are those telling us? Are they, you know, are you able to see tine marks on the tree behind it? Well, then that's telling you how long his tines are. Mm-hmm. I mean, little things like that. I'm not saying I'm out here right. like trying to field score a deer, but you can tell a lot of times if this is a more mature buck or if this is just something that, you know, dink neck made goofing off on his way back to bed this morning. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't even really know what he's doing yet. Where when you hit that big buck scrape that's aggressively hit a lot of times, Stuff will be thrown, thrown way back. Yeah. It's almost obvious. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, this isn't big stamp. Neck. If they're able to get up on their hind legs, and they're taking out down a branch that's way up there, like, mm-hmm. I mean, these are things that you're like, I don't think that's just he's little that Bubby le- doing yeah, he's that. that. He's tall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, <laughs> he's long. <laughs> yeah. And I just think that being able to differentiate those things, like cameras, are confirmation of that. But mm-hmm. at a certain point, too, like. Even as somebody that runs a trail camera, I'm sure there's times where you hit a scrape. You're like, ah, big boy's going to show on right. this one. Yep. Yeah. Right? Like, there's just all those signs that are saying, mm-hmm. like, hey, this is worth worth keeping an eye on. And I just think that sometimes, too, the annual ones are, are real crazy because I've had a couple examples over the years where I found these scrapes once, maybe in turkey season. And then I go back again in the summer and then there's a scrape there again. And you go there in the fall, and it's like, whoa, that's blown up. But maybe you don't even hunt there. But then the next year during turkey season, there it is again. 
Mm-hmm. And when you start finding those places, it's worth lingering around those, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Like, mm-hmm. especially in my hunting style of like being extremely mobile. Why not just make that a starting point? Right. And then from there, you can continue to fan right. and try to get more specific. But like, we're talking car hood. You know, everybody's heard that, man. Car hood's great. <laughs> but when you find those, dude, like, there's those. Uh, one great example is that buck right there. That was that same season I was just telling the story where the raccoon tried to get into our canoe. Oh, yeah. Like that that buck was right on a transition line where the year before, if it's not him, it's darn similar shaped rack. A buck was rubbing and scraping the heck out of that transition. Is exactly the same transition line, exactly the same spot as where I shot that buck the year after. Right. So like when I got in there with Logan that day and we saw – a big rub on the same tree that we did the year before that was mm-hmm. fresh. We didn't even have to see the scrapes. It's like, you know, they're on that transition yep, right. just up there on that, you know, edge of our bow range at 30, 35 yeah. yards. And the mm-hmm. cool thing with like the trail camera stuff is you get that like exact, day. like you can see like, okay, like this buck shows up here on this scrape, October 15th. And he's, he did it. It's like a sign, almost like a signpost. Mm-hmm. He did it the last three years Yeah, where like you, that's like a mental mm-hmm. type thing, but it's like cool to see like the, the data. The date. Well, <laughs> yeah, the it, data. it allows you to much better backtrack the specifics because here's, here's an example that's on the other end of the spectrum. And in this sentence, I should probably try to do a better job of, uh, referencing these unsuccessful scrape setups or, or unsuccessful situations where mm-hmm. it's like everything looks good but it doesn't end up panning out ever yeah so keith and i were hunting last season in a spot where there's a bunch of cattails and there was a kind of like an alder buffer between the cattails and the crp grass and then there was an ag field out there well it was so tight to these cattails and there were so many freaking trails going straight in and out of the cattails guess perpendicular to the transition and then we just found like right off the road we're scrape after scrape after scrape to finally it's like you hit this one where it's the same deal there's all these licking branches there's multiple scrapes around a tree we can set up in a brushy patch right here 15 yards from it so we did nothing next morning went in there and set up on it again nothing hunted there i think one more time nothing and it's just like I feel like that happens to a lot of people. Now and, that, and the reason that I bring that up is if that's happening, keep her moving then. Like yep. there's probably something that's making them not get there till dark. Right. Maybe they're just betting further back in there than you anticipated. If that's the case, then keep moving. Like don't just keep hunting there. Because it's a cool looking scrape. Right. right. I mean, or put it in the back, to your, back of your mind and say, okay, maybe this is something that I should sit with the right weather mm-hmm. conditions and not just sit it continuously mm-hmm. but like maybe this is something that would make a lot of sense when it's you know a cold front in october mm-hmm. i mean and the thing was is that was like real late october those puppies were smoked they were smoked this morning i i i mean i think both keith and i were like we're gonna see something like right. we're gonna at least see a, a younger buck come through here and we never did right and i just think that in hindsight it's like they were probably significantly deeper into that piece but you know at the same time when you see something that fresh and you can also suspect that they're betting in the middle of those cattails and heck maybe they were dude maybe they just weren't leaving the cattails until after Mm -hmm. dark too Mm -hmm. but it it i do want to i guess put that out there it's not foolproof right there's the 
trust me, there's way more times that I've set up on a scrape and not seen a bag of something than Mm -hmm. killed a buck on them. A lot of the times there's more breadcrumbs to follow that you can get a little closer. Yeah. The other thing is, too, like outside of the scrape is like using it as just a, like you were kind of saying, like you may not be able to kill that buck right there, but using it as like, okay, I can probably kill him in this pinch outside of this or this funnel right here like that's exactly like kind of like the book that we've been after back home is like i know he's smoking the scrape but it's like an app an hour or whatever after dark and it's like okay well where are like where can i kill you somewhere else Mm. like i don't i want to kill you over the scrape because it'll be cool but like (laughs) i just want to kill you you know where where else could you go so you can use it too as just like like you said like a diagram of like pinpointing like i know he was here there was this here this here this here how's he moving through this area mm-hmm. where can i and you do that a lot too with like your mock scrapes maybe yeah. where the scrape should be is not huntable but maybe that you know pinch 200 yards away is where you make the mock scrape yeah, yeah right yeah and i think of a really simple setup situation where let's say like in your guys neck of the woods or a lot of stuff i hunt back east is just you got a finger ridge that's maybe kind of got like a flat knob spot on the end. And let's just say, luckily there's some blowdowns there too. Mm-hmm. So there's this visual block and maybe because of that, it's a little thicker, some down trees. And in the off season, you found some real worn in beds there. If you follow that finger up to the main ridge, maybe up on the top, there's rubs and scrapes everywhere, mm-hmm. but it's 350 yards to the mm-hmm. top. Maybe by, checking that scrape whether that be through your cameras or you're on on the uh, boots on the ground scouting you see that okay he's hitting that but because of that bedding area that you found down the ridge you've now got two points of interest so cutting the distance in between Mm -hmm. you could stage hunt your way back so maybe day one you set up on the scrape or like you said with better weather weather conditions but then the second time maybe you go get in kind of like a, you know, little saddle between the main ridge and the, like, you know, finger knob that the uh-huh. bet buck is betting on. And maybe that just increases your odds where, you know, he's almost going there like a destination. You're just intercepting him in between. That's what we're going to have to do, John. That's that kind of what we, yeah, that's like our kind of plan. Yep. We started, well, we started safe and now it's like, okay, boom, let's try here. Because I have an idea of that area mm-hmm. in general, just because I've missed a bunch of bucks there. In the past, <laughs> so, um, but uh, so yeah, yeah, that's. But yeah, it's a nice starting. I think the cool thing is too, it's a good starting point, and like you said, you have confidence in it because mm-hmm. it's there. You know, it's like he's telling you, "I'm here." Yeah, right? yeah. So even if he's not there in daylight, you feel. I don't think I've ever hunted a scrape and like not felt like little a little good. Like, like butterflies and right. like this like might happen. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Like this is a chance it's a good chance instead mm-hmm. of just like hunting somewhere, you know, where your confidence can get lower. Like it's a visual thing to let you know, especially without a camera, like, hey, he was here. Like right. there's a buck here. And a lot of times too, like we were talking about, there's mm-hmm. there's a track catcher there with yep. the dirt spot. And if you just see a big stamp or even just a wide scrape mark from the hoof right itself like that's a pretty good indicator like exactly. if you're looking at multiple buck you know markings in there if one's real wide that's usually a pretty Just good feeling for indiana me. i mean that's how we that's how we keyed oh, in yeah. on all the that spot in indiana i killed that buck scrapes was 
all scrapes and looking at the tracks in them. I mean, that's a perfect example of like how you would hunt. Mm. I mean, we ended up hunting across from that, but like that gave us the clue of like, Hey, and it was basically all track. Like there's a good buck in here because it's in the scrapes. It's a perfect example of like what you just described with that finger ridge. We found those scrapes on that knob. Remember when we were hunting on the ground and the really mature one came in? Yeah. It was like, 75 yards from that knob that those yep. huge scrapes were on yeah but we weren't on the scrape we were just off it yeah. and they we were, were cruising right through there mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean that's like the mixture of everything that we we're talking about yeah. yeah didn't kill him on a scrape but all the scrapes led us to that led us to that to know that there was a good buck in that area and we need to spend some time in there and then found the huntable well i mean we hunted just below that that the first night yeah and i almost shot i mean it wasn't a big I mean, he was a weird, he was a younger deer, but like we almost shot one the first night, like Mm -hmm. from that or the second night from that Intel. Mm -hmm. Um, but I remember the first spot we hunted, I, I specifically remember finding that scrape where we pinned that we wanted to get to looking in that scrape and going, that's a big, like, that's that's a, that's no, that's a big one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I I think, and then we saw like 26 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but I, but I think. There's one consistency to the stories that I think of, whether they're my own or my buddies, just like your guys' Indiana one. The one thing that's consistent about all the stories that we're, we're referring to is people were covering ground in season. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. think, I mean, yeah. we're talking about finding scrapes like in turkey season and these annual scrapes, but that's not limited to that time either, where if you know where those are, they're worth going and checking, but they mm-hmm. may not be hot. And mm-hmm. if they're not hot, just because you've seen them there for three years straight does not mean you should be parking it there and not doing anything else. Right. Because let's say you just have a weekend to hunt and you park it on a scrape that's not just completely on fire. It is my personal opinion that you are way better off cutting your losses and continuing to move through the mm-hmm. woods to Agreed. where you're going to set yourself up better for next weekend versus just forcing Being it. Being stuck. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about it. If you hunt two days on a on an inactive scrape or, you know, one that they're not hitting very much and you end up investing two days, two of your two days or, or one and a half of your days that you have to hunt for that week into that spot. What do you know for next week? Right. Nothing. Exactly. I mean, you're almost backwards. You're like almost in worse shape. So you'd be better off in my opinion to just keep covering ground and just looking for those places that are hot. I mean, essentially trying to get out of the habit of just setting up in a spot just because that's a spot you've set up in the Mm -hmm. past. I've noticed weekend, like the weekend hunters that I'm around, they'll do that a lot. They'll just like be scared to keep going just for whatever reason because, and they'll sit on that not super hot scrape just because it's, I don't really know why, but I I feel like it's this, this concern that you're not actually hunting. Therefore you're not in the game. But if you, practice the art of the still hunt scout mix you can still you can still be hunting (laughs) and you also are likely setting yourself up better for the future like knowing that you're it's it's like an investment in in land for example if Mm -hmm. you invest in land yeah it's going to take a lot of your your savings up right Mm -hmm. or all of them but down the road once you pay that land off then you get the return on it. Yeah. It's the same thing with scouting in season, in my right. opinion. Yep. It's like, yes, you may be, maybe your odds of shooting a buck go down if you're, you know, more on the move or at least your confidence is down. But 
maybe you also stumble on Sunday afternoon. You stumble on that hot spot where you're gonna see 26 bucks yeah. next weekend. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Like that to me, that's that's just something that if I feel like if you can tap into that mentality, especially with something like scrapes in late October, mm-hmm. you're gonna bump up your odds. I think the other thing is people are so terrified of just spooking deer. Right. Oh, We've yeah. talked Big about time. this yeah. a lot. Big time. But like, you know. Um, how many deer did we spook when we were in Indiana? More than we saw. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot. Um, I mean, we just, we hunted a spot, um, back home just last week and similar situation. Like it's a newer, it's a new spot. Um, I had ran some cameras in there and it, we had, you know, it was windy. We had rain come through. I'm like, let's just go still hunt, scout and work our way through there. And we bumped a lot of deer Mm -hmm. and we set up we ended up finding like this little pocket where there's you know oaks dropping there's hickories dropping there's beech nuts dropping and there's like five or six like fresh fresh rubs and uh this is like 20 yards from where we just spooked the last deer and we sat there and we saw six deer you know, mm-hmm. there's deer blowing all over the place two hours later or two hours before we saw it. And it's just like, and I ended up throwing a camera up there and there's a piss load of deer in there. <laughs> like, they're just like there all day, Yeah, you know, like, and that's on public ground too, where other people are hunting. So like, think about that on a private aspect. Mm-hmm. My buddy just had a hunt that he went and got permission on a new piece and he called me and he's like, it was right on the backside of a field. And he's like, I bumped a really big buck. Like, and I was like, just go back in there. Like, he's probably going to come back. He's like, I don't know. I bumped him hard. And I'm like, yeah, but like you weren't, you didn't like rip a rifle round over right. his back. Like yeah. it's right off the backside of a field. He's used to probably farmers and equipment. He probably gets bumped all the time. He went back in a couple days later. That buck came in five minutes into a city. He didn't end up shooting him because he busted him. But he like. Was right there. there. Yeah. And like, that's a mature old deer. Yeah. I think that it's just, we find the spot and then we want to treat it so delicate. But in, at the end of the day, if they really like that spot, there's generally something there that's got them locked into that spot. And a lot of times it's the, the current food source. So mm-hmm. I think even what happens at times is people feel that they bump them off, but they actually just didn't hunt it aggressively enough. Too much time went by and the deer just shifted naturally right. anyway. Yeah. Right. Like for example, that one year that we ended up shooting that buck with the gun in, in, in 2020, Ben and I, that year, I've never seen anything as consistent as those scarlet oaks were dropping acorns like crazy everywhere that we went, where there was a patch of scarlet oaks, there would be so much feeding signed under them. Mm-hmm. It was like, you couldn't miss it. And since then, it's not been the case, but like that season, you couldn't do anything wrong with one of those spots. Mm -hmm. They were going to keep hitting it because that's where the plethora of food was. Like everywhere else in the timber, they were not getting what they were getting under those trees. You could keep kicking them off. I bet you could have kicked them off several times before they even thought Mm -hmm. about shifting. And I'm not saying that that's going to be every single situation, but like you shouldn't, in my opinion at least you should not be so afraid to spook something that you just never keep investigating or you never keep looking like you, if you bump one, that's kind of a good thing. You, you know, know, he's there. Yeah. yeah it's you like know track. He's there. It's like tracking. Yeah. Like you almost want to bump. Oh him. Yeah. 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 Well, and I mean that buck, that was a gun hunt 
and we ended up being able to like who knows i didn't let him get this close but who knows i might have been able to shoot him with the bow he was 40 mm-hmm. yards away there's right. too much brush for a bow but mm-hmm. yeah darn near could have shot him with the bow oh well, even you him and he circled around your and, ohio gun buck like you bumped that deer yeah that's the that, one i'm talking about oh okay i thought you were talking about iowa no nope, okay. nope that's yeah the, yeah the one I'm yeah it gave about. you and it gave you the information to know where you thought he was gonna go mm-hmm. to too yeah yeah that hunt taught me so much and that same year warb did it in October with a bow, just a different day, but it was a bump and dump situation where he bumped a buck. That was the, was that the further. one he got down out of the yep. stand? Yeah. Yeah. And that's like such a, those right. two, those two hunts in the same season are just such unbelievable examples of just sticking with it and not just, you know, thrown in the towel. And I just feel like, yeah, bumping stuff is not that big of a deal. On the opposite side of it, I definitely get why weekend hunters are scared of it yeah because like i only have so much time right yeah Two i don't want to spook yeah yeah so I, I know where they're coming from but if i think if those guys think about it differently they could yeah it's just inv- the investment idea i think if you can yeah. think of it that way yep. that it, it really helps me because I, because the hunting that i do is is all short like short trips right like one week like i rarely go well i don't have a home place to hunt deer out the backyard anymore or in the mm-hmm. back yeah. back door every time i go deer you hunting travel. it's very yeah. different situation and i think that when that's the case you could think of it the same way well i got this this time crunch and the time's always shrinking on me the hourglass is always losing the sight mm-hmm. in it and then if you get too caught up in that and you start forcing it on day one two three four like you may not be setting yourself up that well for day five six seven mm-hmm. And I just think that, like, whether you're a, on a weekend hunt, a three-day weekend hunt, a week-long vacation, a week-long trip, whatever you want to call it, just thinking of that time on foot as an investment for setting yourself up later in the hunt mm-hmm. is extremely that will valuable. Help a lot. Yeah, there's a long say that even a seven-day hunt is a marathon. Mm-hmm. Like you're probably not just gonna sprint out of the gate and win. Yeah. Sometimes, but not very often. Like we're about to do. Good thing it's only five because I can't do a marathon. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I guess one last thing I kind of want to touch on because I feel like this is something that we, at times, get questions about is, the idea of, setting up on scrapes. Like how exactly, and and maybe this is somewhat. Mostly touching on this for somebody that's new to mobile setups and, and how to set up on the actual scrape itself. Mm-hmm. So, like, what is the progression of things that you guys do when you find a scrape that you're like, eh, this is probably something I want to either hang in today or in three days? What are some of the, like, steps that you take? Huh. So, it, go ahead, John. Um, like, as far as, like, how we're going to hunt it Mm -hmm. like anything from visualizing him coming in right to to your setup to i think your access yeah yeah well i mean obviously you want to kind of use if you don't know for sure use your judgment of where you think he's betting to determine your access Mm -hmm. the other thing you know it's kind of like cookie cutter but your wind too i think one thing that I'll use like this year as an example that I feel like I can might do differently here on out is especially where I hunt. Like my best wind is going to be the last hour. Mm -hmm. 
And before that, it's just a stress mess Mm -hmm. because it's just like in those hills and stuff. It just is. It's messed uh, up. I don't like it. Like (laughs) so, like nobody. Ideal. One hit. One thing though. Nobody likes it. I think that because like you see the the deer like it. Right. Well, and you see and you see like you know a hunting show on in Iowa and they're like we got a straight west wind and then they never worry about anything. Right. And if that's been your only experience, it's like. You go hunt hills and you're gonna learn a lot real quick about. Oh, it's not even yeah. reading the wind on on your on your weather app. No, it's about that, and then pairing that with anticipation of how thermals are gonna pull in yes. areas. So, right. yeah, to your point, so, yeah. figuring that out. So you know, say you're. I'm gonna in, check this camera, but keep talking. You're in one of those spots where you think that scrape is super close to his bedding area. Mm-hmm. Well, you probably better not get in there when that wind's being weird yeah you know because if he's right there and your wind does one little swirl i mean yeah you have say you know i don't think i've had a hunt where i can say i've had a consistent west wind i like we don't usually leave stuff in the woods so that makes it a little tougher but like if i had a spot set up like i would want to be there the last hour like when that when i know that wind is is it's not like the rut right where you're you may have oh uh, you can you obviously want a consistent wind but you can get away with a lot more like if it's being weird you can get away with it where like this is like that's your play and that buck's probably right in that general area and i'm talking like more early like early october like what we're just coming out of like he's probably not very far and if he's up before sunset, he's probably standing below, you know, as, if he can be like he's standing below that scrape, just standing there. Yes. You know, he's not like just getting up, stretching and just like, I'm going to walk. right. Yeah. So it. I think, I think, you know, in our situation, the wind is huge, like making sure you're there. It may be a short hunt, but if you can slip in quietly and maybe that maybe, you know, for future wise maybe that means that if we should be doing more of a ground setup you know i do like to try to get in trees especially around me because i can see so far Mm -hmm. if i can um so yeah i'd say that's the biggest thing like you don't need to sit there for four hours maybe it's just the last hour and i think that's something that we've maybe not done the best of because i worry about worry about setting up and it's like oh well if i make a decent amount of noise i want it to calm down but every time that we've done that i just sit up there and i'm pissed off because i'm like oh the wind the wind yeah and just like where i think he's betting it hasn't gone yet that i know of you know but like it's just like and then the last hour it's just like like this is perfect you're getting a thermal pull down Mm -hmm. or whatever whatever it is the the if it's super windy it's kind of settles and like now it's now i'm getting that consistent because like where we just hunted last time i was like we had a pretty stiff wind and i was like it's usually fairly consistent up high because we were up high and it wasn't wasn't. but that last hour once it was like the gusty stuff kind of laid down then it was like okay this is what we want it's not doing that you know washing machine type deal um and then like you know I keep going back because it's just fresh. Um, the morning stuff, too, is like I was telling you about that deer. It's like I send that picture to people, and they're like, why is he on his feet at 10 a.m.? 
it's 80 degrees and he's walking through that spot and like go go kill him and it's like well he's doing it because that's when the wind because that's exactly when the sun comes up and our thermals go completely haywire hey different it's (laughs) just completely different and that's when he can come up into that area and know he's he's good and we can't we can't be there Mm -hmm. we can be there but we're not going to kill him right or, or you'd have to just continue to go. I think you can be there. You just have to study it a lot for a while. Right. Like you'd have to study it, you know, for a whole morning or a whole, you know, maybe go up in there after the season and study it. And I think that's that's something that mm-hmm. I've, we've talked about thermals a fair amount here and there. And I mean, I've done specific podcasts about thermals and with like I did one with Jeff Sturgis once, and that's super valuable. So if you haven't heard that you're listening to this you're like i don't understand thermals go listen to something like that and just like just keep experimenting and pay attention to the little details as much as you can like constantly be dropping milkweed Mm -hmm. or you know dropping dirt even and just seeing where it's going because you can learn about them and i feel like you can manipulate them in your favor it just is a lot of practice and like i'm still not as good as i want to be at it but i'm getting better and i'm getting more confident you know what really helps hunting whitetails and hills and then hunting elk and mountains is just really beneficial to your ability to read wind and that even goes for like i was just hunting mule deer with in the plains with greg and there were times there that i was seeing consistencies with how thermals were working like yeah if you're on the top or if you're down on the you know flat plains yeah, the predominant wind is just blasting in your face, baby. It's great. But then if you get on that hillside, mm-hmm. it's like that predominant wind starts to be influenced by a thermal pull mm-hmm. up. So, like, if you're on a hillside, maybe the wind on the very tip tops coming this way. But as soon as you drop onto the hillside, it might be doing more of this. But if you see that time in and, time, you know, day right. in and day out throughout a long period of time, you start to just be able to anticipate. And that's mm-hmm. what I think thermals reading thermals is you're just almost anticipating you're guessing you're like well sun's hitting there predominant wind should be coming this way so then it's going to react this way mm-hmm. now granted that may not be consistent with super gusty right. calm but you know if you have some tendency that you can play you, you may be able to take some sort of risk knowing well at least 75 percent of the right. time i'm getting a pretty good win and I think you have to commit to that, too, if you're hunting in yeah. hill country. Like and I you, think ca- you can't be like, this do. is perfect. Yeah. I think a lot of it, too, is, like, relating, you know, compared to, like I was saying, like, early season, where you're probably in there, you know, after a buck that's probably right there compared to, like, like obviously, I in, in the rut, I think about the wind. Mm-hmm. But, like, you don't if, know it, if it goes coming. like that, whatever, that buck could be a mile and a half away right right now like i don't there's i'm hunting more like movement of where can i intercept multiple deer not one deer hitting a scrape the last 10 minutes of light Mm -hmm. that's probably right in that bubble yeah so um so yeah i would say that's kind of like my thought process on an earlier season setup there if you want to set up a mock scrape setting it up to where you know you can hunt it you know consistently Mm -hmm. or looking for that cold front spike in pressure, you know, that type of stuff is all more stuff that I would look for early mm-hmm. in the year. Yeah. Looking, looking for setup stuff something that I was thinking about. We, we use the example of a bench, right? <laughs> so bench, bench scrapes are sweet mm-hmm. tricky because of that wind thing. But let's say you, 
decide that, well, I'm going to hunt this on an evening and I'm going to hunt on the low slope below the scrape mm-hmm. and hoping that I'm going to get a thermal mm-hmm. drop on a calmer evening. The next thing is, is like, okay, how can I access this without things seeing me? If I'm going to come in here in the evening, we're going to be on with daylight that they might just look up there and right. see me, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of times I'm looking for something that I can sneak through to where I'm below mm-hmm. it or, you know, got vegetation on either side of me. But one of my favorite things in a hill country situation on a bench scrape is taking up just a tiny little ditch where yep. maybe your only your hips are really covered by the dirt, but if you need to, you can sink down into it and use it as cover mm-hmm. and then slide up. And whether you're a ground guy or a tree stand or saddle guy, like before you leave that scrape, picking out spots mm-hmm. that you could potentially set up and maybe better yet, like I just did this this spring, for example, when I was scouting. I found this spot that I really liked, um, this scrape. I had actually found a shed in a bed on the end of a ridge and just out of that bedding area, right on the transition to where it met up with a bunch of oaks, there was just a hammered scrape. Like, I mean, boys, we're talking 70 yards tops from this bed where I found a really nice five-point shed. Right. And I was like, man, how would you get in here? And I was looking at it, and it was going to be a heck of a walk. Like, there was a much faster walk from the road, but I would come in, kind of the back door, circle all the way around, get the wind in my favor, take this little ditch up, they got me right to the base of one of those big oak trees where that scrape was. And there was just a bunch of junk under that tree, like kind of old down trees underneath of it. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of stacked that up, mm-hmm. set that up in a position to where like, if I come back there, I know exactly where I'm going to go slide into. And maybe my impatient butt's going to get up and start walking around still hunting in the bedding area in a half hour. But at least I know you that's a, the spot I'm spot. going right yeah. to. Mm-hmm. Right. And same thing with the tree set up. Like picking the tree, mm. maybe if you got your stand and saddle on your back, you go up there, read the wind once. Right. Like those little factors I think are really beneficial if you know exactly that spot that you're hoping they come down. And also looking at, you know, their entry and exit trails to those scrapes. Like the reason I like a bench trail is usually those trails go like this on that bench. Mm-hmm. They rarely go underneath and come up the steep stuff. And that's where you use that to put your ground right. scent there. Right. You're hiding in a visual yeah. standpoint. Mm-hmm. I really like those types of You just go spots. slow. Yep. Yeah. Any little ditch or creek yeah, or, or whatever. Yeah. You know, like where we hunt, um, even like, you know, like a thicker brush, like the one spot, like that's exactly what it is. It's not a very big, di- and they love to be right in there, but it's enough that I can slide around the backside mm-hmm. He's not in there. He's in that steep. Yeah. Like, there's probably does and stuff in there, but he's way up looking. Like, I, I think round where I hunt a lot more, they're getting they're betting more with a visual than mm. anything else mm. when it's super steep. Yeah. Like, just on a little, you know, bench. Like, Maybe where a tree fell on that steep and they're, like, yeah, laying in the like, Yeah, so I'm trying to stay as low as I can to get to, um, you know, a ditch or, like, a – you know, a thicker spot that I can just slowly. Cause I mean, even if, if your wind's good and there's deer in there, if you move up through that slow enough to get to the tree, they don't know. They don't know. Like, yeah. what are you, you know, just another deer yep. or a bear or a yeah, guy. Right. There's mm-hmm. enough crap in the woods that mm-hmm. makes noise. As long as your noise is somewhat similar to that noise, yeah. it's, and know, animals, it's, I mean, it's quick tip to that is animals stop often. Like, oh yeah. They're playing defense, right? Like most animals, maybe not as much a bear, but even a bear, like, yeah, 
if you watch animals move through the woods, they stop and listen all the time. Mm-hmm. So if you match that, you're right. probably getting away with more right. than what you think. Right. Oh, yeah. And they break big sticks, and then they sit there and they stop. Yeah. And they listen. So like you know, yeah. it's fascinating. We do this, but I've noticed over the years with the still hunting, just like being in bedding areas and being real tight with stuff, just ultra aggressive things. Something that I've noticed is a big buck, especially, will wait until the wind blows to move. Also, and like yeah. that's that's kind of spooky. It's like mm-hmm. it's like he he's the one with the experience. Like right. he knows how to play this game better than we even do. And if he's doing that, then we should absolutely be yeah. doing the same thing. Like right. I've been in a bedding area with a deer before, and like heard a stick break, and it's pretty calm. Then all of a sudden that gust of wind happens, and that's when he starts making his move, and it makes it a, way harder to like keep a right. tab on and he him. He knows that, and he's but that's why he's doing <laughs> yeah, it, right? Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. It's it. I think that's sweet. I that's think that cool tells you a lot about like yeah how much of a advantage they have just because that's how they live their life every day we just we're visitors right. temporarily <laughs> i mean think about what you would do if, if you heard something in your house oh yeah you stand you yeah you listen point. and you're like oh all right and it's just the wind if, and if <laughs> somebody know? comes barging in the front door you're gonna know it but like thinking yeah. about like how i used to walk to a tree stand when i was a kid leave the chuck and just Oh, yeah. Walk her there, What's baby. What's the quickest way yeah. to just like put your head down? Man, and I can't wait I to can't sit ki- down. I can't, I can't <laughs> kill one until I'm there. I might right. as well get there. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I think if you if you just slow her down a little bit, be patient, mm-hmm. take your time. And like you said, too, about the scrapes, I think of this in a lot of October hunting, especially in the hills. Don't be afraid for it to just be 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Even Even, I mean on your way there you could run into something you could call one in you could whatever like right. you're hunting uh, putting yourself in the mentality of your hunting from the time you start getting into the danger zone until you're mm-hmm. in your setup i mean it's a great strategy to uh-huh. use and I, mean, right. I, I think one advantage that that i say this and i know this has become easier for me just because i'm always on the move like right. i'm never uncomfortable i suppose like there are times i shouldn't say never but most of the time I'm like mm-hmm. comfortable in wherever position I'm in. But if you've never done that and you've only, you know, had success out of setups, I think it could be a little bit harder to d- dive into, but just knowing that at any point, if you hear one coming, he's telling you where you need to get ready for. So mm-hmm. like, if you listen often, you're going to up your odds of like, right. You know, being ready for that. You're going to hear them before you see them. Right. And, yeah. and truthfully, if one hears you, and he thinks you're a deer. He's probably coming right He's at you. He's going to come at you. <laughs> and if you know where that's at and you can get drawn ahead of, drawn ahead of time, yeah. like, yeah, he might stop out and give you three seconds before he runs. But if you're right. already drawn and put your pin on him at 15 yards, Done. Poof, poof. Yeah. it's on. Send one right over his back. <laughs> yeah. I guess one last thing with the setup, with the setup thing. It's like if I have any ability to do it, if I'm in a tree – or, or on the ground, whatever's off my left shoulder, like my most natural spot to draw yep. easily with minimal movement. That's, yeah. Like, that's where I'm going to get him. If he comes down this trail, ideally, I pick and, you know, may, even just like break or push things over to be able to shoot multiple lanes on yep. the trail. But knowing that ultimately, if all of a sudden I'm sitting here dinking around, looking at it on X, we got no confidence in this setup anymore, and all of a sudden I hear pop, and I look up and he's like already on his way. If I've already got my bow face in there, 
my arrow's facing there, my body's oriented that way. Right. This is all the movement that I should need. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think setting up that way is important. So, yeah. That's a good point, too, as far as, like, we have a lot of just wide open stuff. Mm-hmm. Is going even going back to him probably standing there surveying the scene, you know, if you're in a saddle going like this and what, like having, you know, if you're in a tree or whatever, having, you know, good cover mm-hmm. in general. But like, I think our setup the other day was like mm-hmm. about as min as you can get. So like Sick. you've got a scrape right here, right? There's a maple tree and there's a pine right behind the maple tree. There's a logging road like this. This is kind of like open. We're expecting him to come up like this right here. Mm-hmm. So our wind is supposed to be doing this, but it's kind of doing this and like this, mm-hmm. but it's not going like that. So like we felt like, okay. So I was in a saddle and I was like 45 with my bow facing the scrape, but literally all I had to do, I wasn't even, I wasn't going to let him get to the scrape. Like I was going to have to shoot him before, mm-hmm. but I, I could grab my bow, draw and shoot his entire what i thought was going to be his entire entrance into us into the scrape uh-huh. um and just like you said very just grab pull boom like that's my easiest shot is yeah. spinning to my left yeah but if he you know for some reason pops up on the scrape it's just like i think i even said it in the video i'm just like ooh, that's like plug and play because <laughs> like, it was yeah. like i'm just like doink like yeah. type deal but um and then the other thing with the setup that just from talking about this that I think for like our situation, we're doing a lot of hanging hunts. And like I was saying, a struggle with that early thing is maybe it is something where we do get in early. We slide and get everything set and literally get out and get back up onto like our entrance where the safe win is. And then slide back back in yeah i don't think that that would actually be a sweet yeah sweet approach because if it because if it worked it would teach everybody a ton of stuff Mm -hmm. right Right. because like where we were that would be perfect because it's just like it's a wide like there's not deer like we walk through a wide open cut Hmm. like there's not deer right there so like we could sit on that like right above there 150 yards where the like it's a top top so like it was pretty good right up there and just wait and then slide in for that's a great you know, idea power hour or whatever it is mm-hmm. the, the other example that you used is like ground setup in those situations mm-hmm. where that is a huge advantage is you can just sneak your whole way in and then you just plop down and yeah. then you're done you right. know there's nothing else i mean you don't have to worry about your you know and like we tape all of our stuff and whatnot mm-hmm. but you don't have to worry about you know clanking clanking or, or, or even this this stresses me out too and i was actually just talking with Greg about this is just when you, and this is actually something that really deters me from tree stand hunting is the amount of time that my eyes and ears aren't on to my surroundings. Mm-hmm. If I'm putting up a tree stand, son, I'm in that zone. That's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying I'm not listening at all, but it's way harder to be paying attention than all when right. I'm just standing there with my bow. Mm-hmm. Right. If I'm just standing there with my bow, like, I got all the confidence in the world that nothing's going to sneak up on me. I hate that feeling right. of like, ooh, I'm putting this stick up. What if one's? What if I'm calling one in right now because he thinks I'm another deer? Oh, that was weird. We died. No. I guess with that, that's our cue. Maybe we can, hopefully we can use the audio of this camera. But yeah. That's our cue to go scout for elk. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for watching, everybody. Hope you enjoyed it. Hopefully you learned something. And uh, sorry, the audio got weird here at the end, but... 
Yeah. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for to John and Jake, and if you guys haven't already, check out Just Hunt Club. You won't be disappointed, and I've already probably flashed plenty of text, or well, I guess Keith has. Thanks, Keith. <laughs> but yeah. Hey, Keith. It was good talking to you. Man. Yeah, buddy. Good job, Keith. All right, guys. Catch you on the next one. I'm starting.